You're listening to Everyday Evidence, presented by the American Occupational Therapy Association, helping the occupational therapy practitioner apply evidence to practice. Here's your host, Matt Brandenburg. All right. Today, I am joined by Ashley Ifa. Hi. That was correct, right? Yes, yes, you got it. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, perfect. Um, A clinical assistant professor and the occupational therapy academic fieldwork coordinator at the University of Oklahoma. Thank you for being on the show, Ashley. Awesome. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be able to do this today. Yes, so are we. Um, Always exciting to have a boomer sooner on the show. That's what they say at University of Oklahoma, right? Yes, they do. They do. Uh, Definitely boomer sooner. I have several, um, two of my degrees are from here, but my undergrad degree is from the University of Tulsa. So I tend to bleed uh, blue and gold. (laughs) There you go. Well, we won't hold that against you on this show, at least. (laughs) Um, and are really happy to have you with us. Um, you designed a project where fieldwork students brought journal clubs to their fieldwork sites, uh, which we want to talk about today. Mm-hmm. How did you really come up with the idea for this project? What type of needs or problems were you out to fulfill or solve? Sure. So prior to starting my role here at the University of Oklahoma as the academic fieldwork coordinator, I was um, a practicing uh, therapist in pediatric settings. So um, the most recent was in the school setting. And I had been a fieldwork educator for 11 years. So um, what I was observing and, and talking with my colleagues in the school setting and other pediatric settings that I had worked in um, was really a need for being able to access the evidence as a practitioner. Um, we were noticing that memberships were becoming expensive, and then we would run into some other roadblocks, but like having to pay for articles ourselves um, that we were interested in because employers were not willing to pay for that access for us. So just having a lot of those roadblocks um, to really being able to access the evidence. Um, once I transitioned into my role as academic fieldwork coordinator and talking with my colleagues at the university, I really saw an opportunity um, with the students um, being able to provide a solution to that access to evidence um, to practitioners. And I really felt like in their fieldwork course that there was an opportunity that we could really utilize um, journal clubs um, as part of the course requirements, but then to also support fieldwork sites and um, and their fieldwork educators and practitioners. So really overall, I just, I saw that there was this need um, to provide access to evidence for practitioners that they can then utilize in practice. I I love that um, your motivation really stemmed from your experience as a practitioner. Um, I think those barriers that you mentioned are very relatable uh, to OT students, uh, practitioners, educators as well. Um, How would you say that journal clubs can be used to reduce some of those barriers to implementing evidence-based practice? Sure. So like you had um, kind of mentioned or alluded to, evidence really has shown um, that one of those common barriers to utilizing evidence in practice is really having the competencies to know how to access the evidence and evaluate the evidence. And I think by utilizing journal clubs, practitioners and students can work together to 
you know, be able to access the evidence. So students tend to have, you know, access to their library, which is wonderful. But then they can work together to appraise those articles and um, and then share maybe some other tips on how um, evidence can be accessed online, maybe not using um, the library sources. And so I think that's one way that we can use journal clubs is, you know, having those opportunities to work together and collaborate. Um, another studied barrier um, to utilizing evidence in practice is, is time and competing work priorities. So that's what practitioners are running into. And I feel like journal clubs um, can help reduce this barrier by sharing the load of finding and appraising the evidence um, by the group as a whole. And I think what's great about journal clubs is that there's so many different ways to develop and implement them. So we can really, it can be customized to that site and their needs um, and schedule. So for instance, if they don't have time to meet as a group to discuss, the great thing about journal clubs is you could do it asynchronously um, and, and set it up that way to, to meet their needs. So I think journal clubs are very flexible and can be individualized. And that really helps to overcome some of those barriers that were um, identified in the evidence. That's a, a really great point. And I really love what you've done with this study, Ashley. Um, I spent some time studying those barriers to the dissemination and implementation of, of evidence-based practice um, getting my doctorate um, and then have continued with this job to study some of that. Um, but I really love how you've brought your own lens to the issue of knowledge translation and proposed this solution of how you can support and promote increased EBP through student-led journal clubs. Um, I think that's amazing. Um, and as kind of a, another piece of introduction into this study, why overall would you say it's important for students and practitioners to strive to, um, to take these steps to apply evidence to practice? Sure. So it's, it's really imperative that students and practitioners strive to apply evidence to practice because it's, it's an integral part of our clinical practice. So when we combine the evidence with our clinical expertise and those client needs, that promotes best practices. And we know that with best practices, that results in improved health outcomes, intervention-related costs, and practitioner clinical reasoning. So another benefit, specifically with journal clubs, um, which we've seen with other healthcare professionals, is that when we've used them, it has developed um, meaningful relationships between students and practitioners who have been involved in those site journal clubs, as well as shows an increase in knowledge and application of knowledge to practice. We know that um, there's a 15-year gap in translating research into practice, and with that, only 14% of findings are being implemented. And so, like the occupational therapy practice framework discusses, our profession strives to support individuals in achieving health and participation through occupations. So our foundational drive and value system lends itself to wanting to provide the best we can for our clients, for them to be successful and meet their goals. And using current evidence is what we need to improve those outcomes and really um, boost those um, successes. Thank you, Ashley. Every time I hear those numbers, um, it's it's staggering. Uh, 15 years is so long to think about um, the the process of taking evidence and applying it to, to practice. Um, so again, thank you for your work. I love that uh, this project. Um, and thank you for catching us up on really why this is so important. 
Um, can you give us an introduction now into some of the specifics of your project, uh, which is titled Occupational Therapy Student Initiated Journal Clubs in Pediatric Fieldwork Settings? Of course. So we discussed, you know, earlier the gap in the need for evidence-based practice. Um, and so through my study, I looked at utilizing students on their second eight-week level two fieldwork experience to implement journal clubs at their fieldwork sites. With this study, I was really interested in gathering perceptions from the students and the practitioners on the implementation of student-initiated journal clubs. Um, how was this study um, designed? Sure. So the study um, was a qualitative descriptive study design with thematic analysis of focus groups to explore perceptions on student-initiated journal clubs while on fieldwork. It's important to note that with the journal clubs, um, they were initiated by all the students, regardless of setting as part of the fieldwork course that they were enrolled in. But for this study, focus groups and data were collected from pediatric sites only. So I utilized um, purposive and convenient sampling to reduce potential influence of other settings that may be specialized and or already participate in significant knowledge translation activities. Further, um, these sites and individuals were um, already involved in the student experience, and so they were easily accessible to myself as the researcher. We'll get back to our interview right after this quick word. We try to make research more applicable and more consumable for our listeners, and completing the survey that we mention on each episode helps us to do just that. AOTA members are now eligible to receive one contact hour for listening to an episode of our show and completing the survey. The survey is still only three questions long and can be found by following the link in this episode's description. Get yourself a contact hour and help us to improve the show improve the resources AOTA provides to its clinicians, and improve the application of evidence to practice in our field. Now back to the interview. And would you say you used a pediatric setting specifically due to your own personal background as a pediatric practitioner? Definitely. I think my experience, um, you know, looking back has definitely influenced the direction for um, this study. As I had mentioned earlier, having limited access as a practitioner um, and talking with my colleagues, you know, I saw that there was a need there. So that definitely felt like a good area based on my own experience um, to start looking at student-initiated journal clubs in pediatric fieldwork sites. Awesome. I, I love also how this was used on the second fieldwork too. Mm -hmm. um, I think by the time the end of that second fieldwork too comes around, a lot of students are, are hopefully feeling uh, very empowered um, and everything's feeling more real. Um, this sense of, of thinking, yes, I can do this. I'm ready to you know, pass my exam and get certified and, and um, hopefully start practicing. Uh, so I really love how you're including in that experience um, practicing applying evidence um, and knowledge translation. Uh, so year one students are already prepped to do that. Definitely. I think it's, you know, it's definitely part of it wasn't necessarily the um, intent with the study as we were just starting to look at those perceptions, but hopefully having this experience, the students really feel empowered to implement journal clubs or continue their pursuit of knowledge um, and sharing that with their um, colleagues at their, um, wherever they become employed. 
Love that. Um, Ashley, you use the new AOTA Knowledge Translation Toolkit in your study. Uh, can you describe some of the materials that you used? Sure. Um, so I was really, really thankful for the resources that AOTA provides its members. And so for this study, what I did was I provided an hour and a half to two hour training via Zoom to the students that reviewed their assignment for how they were going to um, initiate the journal clubs and transition that leadership to their fieldwork educator, um, what a journal club is and why students and practitioners should participate in journal clubs, and then discuss types of journal clubs and members and, and the logistics for starting one. And so when I was reviewing the toolkit, I really went through all the resources that were provided by AOTA and that toolkit, looking at the introduction, jumpstart your journal club, identifying the focus of the journal club, how to select um, those articles and access them. Um, something that was ex exceptionally helpful, I think, for the students as well was those guiding questions and then how to critically appraise the articles. What I did with the students is I, I reviewed all of those materials with them, but then I led a journal club and had the students um, utilize the critical appraisal form um, with that journal club that I had led. And I used those guiding questions to help um, with um, our discussion there. So I think, you know, the students really liked using those critical appraisal forms. They're very clear and straightforward. Um, and I think it was also really helpful that they had um, access to those other resources and that they were in a checklist format that were really easy to read and guide their journal clubs and then be able to provide those resources, you know, as they were able to utilize them in their journal clubs. And so I think it just helped streamline the process and provided them an opportunity to go back um, and review things and, and to help increase, you know, hopefully their confidence as they were leading those journal clubs. I love that. I love that. I still um, very clearly remember the, the feeling as a student when I found resources on AOTA.org um, through our membership. And it was just kind of like a light bulb moment. I was like, oh, my goodness, like this, these resources really help just connect the dots and make things more clear. Um, so I'm, I'm really glad you, you emphasize that in, in your class. What did some of your students say about the materials? I think what they said was that, you know, it was very helpful for me. I think they really, some of the biggest feedback was from the critical appraisal forms. I think, you know, the benefit was they liked that it was very clear and how it was laid out and it was shortened to the point. It wasn't looking for paragraphs upon paragraphs of information. It kind of highlighted those key areas. Um, and, and made it very straightforward because I think when you're looking at a research article, sometimes it could become very overwhelming, all of the different sections. And so having that appraisal form break it down um, and identify the key information that you are looking for in the article um, was great. And so for the students, I would say that the critical appraisal forms were probably their favorite part of the toolkit along with those guiding questions. Because I think sometimes, you know, as students entering into a site with practicing clinicians, you know, it can be a little overwhelming. And if, um, you know, especially go entering into a new group and then having to ask and facilitate these discussions and ask these questions, it can be overwhelming. And so I think having those guiding questions that they could um, really use as a, a jumpstart 
to the discussion was very helpful to them. Yeah, that sounds awesome. Um, and I, I have to give our, our ad now for the KT Toolkit, um, which is available to all American Occupational Therapy Association members. You can find it on the AOTA website under Evidence-Based Practice and Knowledge Translation. So we encourage all our listeners to check it out. Um and use it in many ways and even try and use it the way some of Ashley's students have. Um, and you mentioned this a, a little bit earlier, Ashley, but how did you really prepare your students to be change agents, um, to provide support to fieldwork, ed- fieldwork educators, and then transition to the educators leading the journal club and hopefully sustaining the journal club after the student completes their, their time on fieldwork? Right. So I, you know, the training was a really big part of preparing the students um, as they approach the fieldwork educator with this endeavor. Um, I think that helped give them a visual. So depending on the different learning styles of the student, you know, it, it gave them an opportunity to experience it. So not only learn about it, be but participate and be engaged in it so that when they went out, they felt a little more confident at least into or as a, a way that they could implement it. So that was one example. And so they were able to, to see that. Um, I also found myself working with the students um, quite a bit during their fieldwork experience um, through email or phone call to problem solve ways to adapt and modify journal clubs to meet the needs of their fieldwork educator in sight. Um, one interesting result that I was not prepared for was that some of the fieldwork educators were not as excited about starting a journal club and having to lead them. And so, you know, I would then also respond to emails or inquiries about that um, to really identify the ways that, you know, they could modify the journal club um, based on some barriers that, you know, later in the focus group that were identified. But you know, just being available, I think, was key and maybe providing, um, you know, some opportunities to think about, well, how can we modify this and really adapt it? Because I think when people hear journal clubs, traditionally, they think of, you know, the group meeting, you know, everyone comes together, there's all this work that they have to do, um, and it can be very overwhelming. And I think just by being um, available to discuss some of those concerns um, or you know, needing some support problem solving ways to adapt or modify was really beneficial to both the students and the fieldwork educators. I hope, you know, the hope with providing that information, showing how to modify and adapt really will hopefully sustain journal clubs um, after the student leaves. Um, I, you know, and hopefully I think one way too that we could uh, really utilize students is, you know, having sites consistently take students. And so, providing that as a resource, but giving students the opportunity to say you can lead these. And I think the focus groups also, the students identified that they really felt like their skills increased and that, you know, they were really supported at their fieldwork sites when they were leading them and received very positive feedback. And so hopefully that also is motivating for them to continue in the future and bring it to sites that may not have it wherever they end up working. I I love how you 
open up a that type of dialogue between your students and and the fieldwork coord- coordinators. Um, and it sounds like you were very flexible um, in in adapting to the needs of of coordinators and practitioners, um, which I'm sure is is very relatable. There's so much that OT practitioners are already asked to do on a day to day basis, um, and it can be difficult to to really problem solve how to implement um, you know journal clubs or any type of evidence-based practice or, or knowledge translation into a daily habit. Um, I want to ask you more about these focus groups and some of the things you discussed. What were some of the topics or questions that you were discussing? Sure. So for the students, the questions really focused on their experience initiating the journal clubs, what made it easier, difficult to do so, along with you know the evidence that they were um, sharing at their journal clubs. Um, and then in terms of like the fieldwork educators, I, I really um, was looking at, there were very similar questions in terms of the experience, but coming from that fieldwork educators perspectives. So looking at how did the students do initiating the journal clubs? How did that transition go? Um, and the overall process as well as, um, you know, was there anything else that they thought that could help make the process easier? for them at their site. Um, so I think based on those questions, the main themes that emerged from the focus groups were that engagement is needed. Um, journal clubs required an ongoing commitment to the process and there were roadblocks in implementing or sustaining the journal clubs during this field work experience. I love those three main themes um, and would love to discuss some clinical applications from each of those themes. Um, Beginning with number one, you already mentioned engagement is needed. Mm -hmm. What can students and practitioners do to really engage and establish quality journal clubs? So in order to be engaged and establish those quality journal clubs, it involves a readiness. So in our study, we really identified that student readiness Um, was needed. So students, you know, have a great opportunity to prepare and organize those journal club materials and have everything um, put together, extra copies. Um, And so they have that type of readiness that can be utilized um, here. And further, I think practitioners too, to be engaged and help set that up. So, you know, we found in our study practitioners were able to help guide the students in what topics would be relevant to the setting, as well as navigating some of those logistics for their site. Um, And I think also just being engaged in the discussion of the journal club um, really helps get the full benefit of it. And so having everyone be engaged in the discussion and, and being prepared for those journal clubs. So I think overall, you know, there's a level of readiness um, that can be uh, that needs to be done by students and practitioners, but then and also a level of engagement through helping get that set up and started. And so I think students and practitioners really working together and collaborating together can get this um, started at a site and have it really take off um, at a clinic um, when they're both um, working towards those things. Absolutely. I love that. Um, and it, it really sounds like a key piece of that is the willingness to, mm-hmm. to get started, uh, the willingness to want to provide more evidence-based interventions um, into your own practice um, yeah. is, is such a big step. And theme two, you mentioned ongoing commitment to the process. 
how do you set up a journal club that will last and be sustained without being perceived as a burden to, to practitioners? Sure. So what's interesting, so you talk about that burden to practitioners and really some of the practitioners in our focus group did discuss how initially they were taken aback by having to be a part of it. Um, and really what we found to reduce that burden and what students identified um, was that students really could pick up some of that slack that was there. You know, they could fill in when, you know, it might seem more burdensome due to some of the roadblocks that we'll share. You know, students could really um, be engaged and help take over some of those duties as needed. And I think having not only the students there, but really making sure that you're modifying, like we discussed earlier, what's going to meet the needs of that site? How do we want to have it set up to be successful um, and to get participation? And so I think you can reduce burden by, you know, determining a frequency that would meet, that would work well for the team that you've identified who would participate, um, as well as taking turns leading the journal club. So not putting that burden just on one person to lead every time, but to share that opportunity would help reduce some of those individual burdens and previously studied barriers um, as well. And then I think, you know, stressing to the positive benefits of being together and sharing professional perspectives on the literature um, is important. One participant had discussed that it was very therapeutic for all of them, you know, to have these journal clubs and get together um, and also to get the perspective of other team members. And then other um, things, too, is that it really it helps support, you know, that setting and those populations and to find those interventions and and be able to, you know, see how they can translate that into practice. And I think, you know, through the focus groups, we found that a lot of the participants were really excited because they were able to share and collaborate and um, and and be almost like uh, gain energy and, and, and excitement for, you know, what will the next article be and how could we implement that in? And I think, too, one way to also reduce burdens is just to be very um, organized ahead of time. So having those meeting dates set, know who's leading and, and get those expectations out there so that people could plan and prepare you know, versus if it comes up last minute and then feeling rushed, um, you know, having that already on their calendar so that they could prepare can help reduce some of the burden as well. Those are all wonderful suggestions. Um, I, I love how this process of, of implementing a journal club is really creating a community. Um, and and you mentioned collaboration um, and, and encouraging that between coworkers and between you know, fieldwork educators and students uh, seems like a, a very healthy environment. Um, can you give us some examples of, of some of the different changes um, that you saw at different sites, the things that were done to make the journal club easier for fieldwork educators and other practitioners to participate in? Sure. So some of the things were, you know, originally the assignment um, just for it to you know, be consistent across all students over all sites that, you know, students needed to lead to translate that um, leadership over to their fieldwork educator, and then the fieldwork educator would lead to. 
And in eight weeks, that's a lot to try to accomplish, um, especially, you know, with some of the settings and the schedules that they had. So in the fall, there's several holidays and things like that. So it was a little busy and required some some modifications. And so for some students, they would um, meet essentially asynchronously and so send emails out with the information and could engage in discussion that way. Um, a lot of the students really tried at the beginning to set up those meeting times um, so that the other potential members could then um, have it on their calendars to participate. And I think, too, you know, they really work to include a variety of um, professionals within their group. So it wasn't just limited to OTs. And I think that's where we saw a lot of the positive feedback of just being together and collaborating together is that, you know, we discussed, you know, if you were going to just do, so if they were at a school site, um, you know, one option was to just have the club at one school. So that would incorporate, you know, whichever, um, you know, therapists were there, but it could also include administration and teachers and other staff within those journal clubs. Um, and so I think providing those different changes so that it could be successful and we could get the number of journal clubs in. But I think really trying to modify that for each site and what they needed. So I think that was the beauty of it is that some were asynchronous, some were synchronous, um, but really getting that planned early um, for the students and the field work educators. I love that. I love that. And, you know, journal club right adjacent to that is, is a book club where, you know, things really are done asynchronously and people meet up to discuss their favorite parts of the book and, you know, engage in that discussion. That's really the, the main goal. Um, so I love how there's different ways you can do that with a journal club as well. Um, and come to the meeting with things prepared. You might learn something new from someone who has a totally different perspective, um, but everybody's there with the same goal to gain some uh, insight into how to improve evidence-based practice. I love that so much. Um, Ashley, what are some additional roadblocks to implementing journal clubs and how would you recommend students and practitioners overcome those? Sure. So what we found in our study kind of highlighted some things that we already already knew. So like that limited access to evidence, as well as competing priorities at work and with their personal lives. And we also identified um, just a roadblock with some personal beliefs of that perceived burden of the journal club implementation due to those things like time um, and, and work priorities and the benefit of journal clubs. And so I think, you know, what we found was students are a great way to help overcome, you know, some of these roadblocks due to their access to evidence through university libraries, um, as well as their time and ability to manage administrative and organizational aspects of the club themselves. And then they can also share the benefit of the use of journal clubs with those fieldwork educators. Um, I think, you know, something that we've discussed quite a bit already is just ensuring that the journal club approach is, that's used at that site is the right fit. So like we mentioned, you know, determining you know, how they're going to meet some of those logistics where they're going to meet the schedules, the needs of the members there, and really individualizing it um, is key to making it successful and supported. 
And I think something, you know, you mentioned the book club and kind of how people do prepare asynchronously and come to discuss maybe their favorite parts. And I think, you know, I had one student discuss how maybe not everyone prepared as well prior to the journal club. And so the student was then able to review the overall article using those critical appraisal forms and then um, use some other questions to help guide the discussion. And what they found was really that the practitioners were still very engaged and really wanted the evidence. It may be that they didn't have as much time to prepare, um, but they were still excited about it. And the discussion still was really, really good. And so I think that's something to, to be mindful of. You know, we really have these students and, you know, if they're the ones that end up leading all the journal clubs while they're on field work sites, um, you know, you could use it that way, have the student lead all of them, because what we found was the discussion was still really good. Um, and so I think having students is such a great way to overcome a lot of these roadblocks. I love that. I love that. It makes me want to invite a student to, to come to my outpatient pediatric yes. setting and, and start a journal club. Um, can you share a, a specific experience or story from this study of, of how the student initiated journal club led to um, a, a positive outcome? Sure. So what was really exciting to me overall was how all the participants spoke about the benefits of journal clubs in general. Even if they were going to identify roadblocks, everyone discussed the benefits and how they really saw the benefit, they knew the benefit. And so to me, that was very exciting. Um, I did have one therapist uh, who really enjoyed the journal club process. It was very successful at their site. And she, um, you know, had mentioned in the focus group that she had already spoken to her supervisor about continuing journal clubs because she really enjoyed that positive aspect about having the group together, discussing literature and then um, interventions and uh, how they could utilize that in practice. And so I think for me, just having people get excited about the process and wanting to pursue knowledge is really what helps our profession continue to grow and provide that best practice to our clients. I love that. So, so much of this is just getting hyped up for evidence-based yeah. practice um, and being excited and, and willing to try something um, like a student-initiated journal club, for example. Definitely. Um, Ashley, what, what else did you learn about evidence-based practice and the process of translating evidence into practice from the study? Sure. So I think what I learned is what we've already seen in the literature is that Practitioners are really up against several roadblocks when they're pursuing evidence and, and translating it into practice. So whether that's those competing priorities, the time, the access, um, you know, and I think for a lot of practitioners, at least from the focus group, it, what the access and time were probably the biggest roadblocks. Um, however, I think the study, I was able to show the benefits of utilizing students to support practitioners and sites in overcoming um, those roadblocks. And so that's what I really learned. Like students do offer so much um, and they can even be utilized in journal clubs and, and be able to help with, you know, at least providing um, the access and, and supporting sites, you know, carrying out some of those administrative duties, you know, just to overcome those roadblocks and it, and it can be very successful. And so to me, that's what I, I really learned, that there are ways we just have to be creative um, and, and, and have a willingness to maybe think outside the box 
and how we're going to um, pursue knowledge. I love that so much. That's so encouraging uh, from a student perspective as well. I think most, hopefully all students have a desire to be very helpful on their fieldwork experiences. uh, But the truth is there's just some things that students aren't prepared to do in, in, in the care continuum on their fieldwork. Um, but encouraging them to use this skill of knowledge translation, of um, consulting and learning from the evidence, um, I think is is very empowering to students. Definitely. I, we're almost to the end of this interview, Ashley. I just wanted to give you another opportunity. If there's any other main takeaways from this study that you'd like to highlight for students and practitioners. Sure. So I think like the main takeaway, and I probably have already said this um, during this interview, but really for practitioners who utilize students, um, especially if you're facing any kind of roadblocks, like the limited access time, competing priorities and so forth. Um, And while I wouldn't say that my study is the ultimate solution to ending that evidence to practice gap that we're seeing. It is one way um, to help address it and ensure that we as practitioners or future practitioners are engaging in providing best practice to our clients. That's evidence-based to help support their outcomes. And for students really utilizing these opportunities on fieldwork to support their site's practitioners by reducing those roadblocks will also not only help their site, but it's going to also help support their growth and their competencies in accessing and assessing the evidence. And so really it's beneficial for all parties. Um, and I, I think those are the main takeaways that I want um, everyone to leave with today. I love that. It's a win-win-win. It is a (laughs) (laughs) win-win-win. And and Ashley, uh, if someone listening to this wants to learn more about your study, if they want to see your manuscript or Mm -hmm. um, even contact you to to partner or anything like that, what what would their next steps be? Sure. I would love that. Um, Of course, I'm passionate about this and I want it to get out and be tried and utilized. And um, so if they would like to reach out to me, they can email me at Ashley-Efaw, E-F as in Frank, A-W, at O-U-H-S-C.edu. Awesome. Thank you so much, Ashley. And um, with your permission, we can uh, put your email in our episode description as well for yes. anyone who'd like to reach out. Yes, of course. Perfect. Well, we made it to our concluding segment. We call this the golden nugget segment. Um, This interview has already been full of uh, many nuggets and tips and and tricks for our listeners. Um, But I want to ask you, actually, if there was one piece of advice or recommendation you could make to OT practitioners, what would you say? So the one piece of advice that I, I would have, and I think this has followed me through school and and my years in practice is just to continue to stay up to date with research and never stop striving to learn and grow because in pursuing knowledge and evidence along with your clinical expertise and your client needs, you're going to be able to support um, your client and improve their health outcomes and improve your own clinical reasoning in this OT journey. I know that I, when I had students, I always said, you never stop learning. I will never know it all. And for me, that just gets me excited because things are always changing. We're learning, we're growing. Um, and how can we continue to just propel our profession into the future um, and support the varying needs of our clients? And so for me, it's always just continue to pursue knowledge 
um, so that you can be the best practitioner that you can be. I love that. I love that. Thank you so much, Ashley. It's a wonderful golden nugget for us to end on. Um, and I really appreciate you taking the time to come on the show today. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. That's been a pleasure. Thanks for listening to Everyday Evidence. Tune in next time for more evidence-based practice insights and applications. Thank you.